Well, today we are starting a new series in the book of Acts. We are uh, calling this series Unstoppable Church because we live in a time when sometimes people get a little bit anxious for God. Uh, They see the challenges facing the church, the obstacles that there are, and they wonder whether God is really up for the task or whether they are up for the task, either way. We'll be looking at the life of uh, the early church and seeing how God overcame uh, the uh, obstacles that were put in their way, the challenges that came, uh, and how he can be trusted to do uh, the same in our lives today. Uh, Today we're looking at a jailbreak and how God uh, deals with the fears that would otherwise keep us from following Jesus. Now, Gary Hagen isn't someone that you would normally think of as being given to fear. Uh, with a, an undergrad from Harvard, from, with a, uh, a law degree from the University of Chicago, he's not someone that you would think would typically be rattled by much. But when he found himself, after uh, three years of planning and dreaming about starting a nonprofit called International Justice Mission, he described the fear that overcame him as he was going to, actually that day came where he would be stepping out and uh, launching into that ministry. He said this, I was suddenly feeling very nervous. As I thought about it, I feared humiliation. If my little justice ministry idea didn't work, no one was gonna die, but the fact is I'd be terribly embarrassed. Having told everybody about my great idea, They'd know it was a bad idea or that I was a bad leader. Either way, it would be humiliating. I sensed, he says, God inviting me to an extraordinary adventure of service. But deep inside, I was afraid of looking like a fool and a loser. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in that situation where you, you sense God leading you to do something, but you just are afraid of looking dumb, of getting it wrong, of not being up for the task, or uh, maybe, maybe you, you do get things done, but you're afraid of what people might think, what people might say. If you have ever been uh, confronted with those kinds of fears or the other fears that, uh, that we face in our lives in following Jesus, then today's passage uh, gives us some, uh, a picture of how uh, Jesus can overcome them. And uh, so we will be breaking those down and looking at those together. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Uh, verses 12 to 26. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you just look in the rack. Uh, there's a, a, a black, should be a black Bible in one of the uh, seats in front of you, and it is on page 859. Page 859, Acts 5, verses 12 to 26. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. 
The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to do. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. This is the word of God. Now, this... This is a, a passage that gives us several kinds of fears. And uh, the first one is the, uh, the fear of getting involved. Jesus is building his church, and yet there are people on the sidelines afraid to get involved in what, is, what uh, uh, God is doing. There's an unwillingness to be a part of it. Jesus is building his church, but uh, there is fear of getting involved. Now, as I read the, today's passage for you, I hope you felt, and we are supposed to feel, a sense of wonder and excitement of what happens when God's spirit is unleashed in a body of believers and they give themselves to his mission. This was an exciting period of uh, the church and a time of incredible expansion. There were exciting things happening. In verse 12, the, Sol the, the apostles are in Solomon's portico, which was on the east side of the temple. It was a covered area, separated a little bit from where the main sacrifices were taking place. It was a little bit like our connection room, just without the coffee. And so it was a pl place where people gathered for fellowship. They gathered for debate. And, uh, and so that's what is happening on this particular date. God was at work among them because it says many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. So we're to picture healings and exorcisms. Uh, people are coming forward and they are being healed of all kinds of, uh, of, 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 of afflictions. In fact, what we see happening here looks a lot like Jesus's ministry. And that's what we're supposed to see. We're, we're supposed to see the connection that what was happening on, in Jesus's ministry is now being repeated through the apostles, showing that uh, the, the church is the genuine uh, continuation of his ministry continued through the world uh, through as uh, believers seek to be his hands and feet uh, among those to whom he sends them. 
Now, this wasn't like a Benny Hinn healing service because it says uh, in verse 16 that all were healed. So they haven't just had uh, a couple of their assistants, as Benny Hinn does, and find a couple people with uh, back pains and arthritis and heal them. People of all backgrounds, of all kinds of ailments are being healed. God's power is on display. But they're not just coming forward uh, with afflictions. People are coming to faith. Uh, It says in verse 14, multitudes of both men and women are coming to the Lord. So there is is spiritual revival taking place among the people as the apostles make known the good news about Jesus Christ and demonstrate that in power. But despite all that was happening, verse 13 says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Now, In verse 12, the apostles are healing the people. So most commentators believe that the rest is referring to the rest of the Christians. The apostles are are there serving faithfully, serving boldly and courageously, but the other Christians are kind of afraid to join in on what's happening. They didn't dare to join them. Now, there could be a couple of reasons for that. One could be they're afraid of getting too close to the apostles because they've heard about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the first half of the chapter. And if that's not a familiar scene for you, you can go back and read uh, what happened in verse, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. But more likely what, what is happening is that they're actually afraid of the authorities because the religious establishment has already uh, warned them to, to not proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, and they've arrested Peter and John last time they were here in chapter 4, and so likely the believers are afraid that's going to happen again. If, if the, 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 the believers are there in the temple, right in the place where Peter and John were arrested and told, don't do this again, like the likelihood is we're going to get arrested We're going to get thrown in prison, and probably something worse will happen. It's it's hard to to come to terms with that. Whatever the motivation of these believers to say, hey, we're going to sit this one out, it's, it's hard to imagine what might have been going through their mind. This was like the Super Bowl of Christianity. There, there was an unparalleled response. Uh, people are coming to faith in huge numbers. There are people would inevitably were coming forward. They had questions. People had needs. People wanted prayer. And a limited group of apostles are going to have a limited ability to respond to all of those needs, you would imagine. And you would think this is a time... All hands on deck. If you're a believer, you want to show up and be available. You want to be used. But many of them didn't. Many of them chose to sit it out, to stay home, to not get involved. I wonder how they justified it. Maybe, maybe they told themselves, well, there, there'd be lots of other people to help. They don't need me. I don't need to get, get involved. I don't need to get too close. Uh, Maybe they just decided, I don't have the spiritual gift of dangerous ministry. Uh, If someone's going to get arrested, maybe maybe there's some particularly bold Christians. They they can get involved in that. I'd prefer to just, you know, hang out in my living room and find out afterwards, see how it happened. Um, Maybe they just closed their minds 
closed, just tried to not think about that, thought, I can follow Jesus without necessarily serving Jesus. If there's another opportunity for the Bible study, I'll be there. But this idea of serving and getting involved and maybe if it's going to be dangerous, it's going to cost me something, that's not something I'd be particularly interested in. Whatever their mindset, whatever they use to justify that, I think we need to pause and ask ourselves whether we see ourselves in any of their responses. Do I identify with how they were dealing with what was an incredible opportunity and a a, a chance for them to be a part of what God was doing? Do you uh, find yourself where... Uh, in the situation where fears keep you from serving? Uh, Do you find yourself worried that you're not mature enough? Do you ever wonder that you won't know what to do or you won't know what to say? Are those are the kinds of issues that will stand in between you and serving Jesus, speaking for him, uh, being a part of what God is doing? I remember the fear I felt um, I, I actually didn't feel this, this level of fear the first time I had to preach. Didn't feel this fear the first time I had to leave a Bible study. The greatest fear I experienced was the first time I was asked to serve in the toddler room. Absolutely terrifying. Didn't have younger brothers and sisters. I didn't have younger cousins I had to look after. So when someone came to me and said, hey, we have this need. There are people in the, we've got, we've got toddlers. Um, we, you're an able-bodied person. Would you be willing to take a turn in, in helping the servant there? And I was like, I don't really have a good reason to say no. Uh, terrifies me, but if this is part of the mission of the church, I'll show up. And I didn't know what to do. I was uh, completely at a loss, and uh, yet in the midst of that, with all of my fears intact, uh, I learned some things, and um, I I just kept reminding myself, if this is part of the mission of the church, then it matters that I be there. And I kept showing up. What this passage teaches me is that just showing up matters. That when God's people join and in the mission of the church, it matters to God and they are used by God. It also seems to matter that when we don't show up, it makes a difference when God's people don't step forward to serve. They don't join and be a part of what God is doing because it, it, it records in verse 13 that, that the rest didn't dare to join them. That seemed important enough for God to record for all history. You know, you know when you didn't show up for like the most important revival meeting in, in the early church? That kind of mattered. That was kind of important. In fact, we're going to have future Christians until Christ come, we're going to have them read about that and reflect on it. And, and so uh, for you and for me, we, we are uh, recognizing that what God is doing is important, and it's important enough for all of us to be involved in it. So Jesus was building his church in Solomon's portico. Some people were afraid to get involved. And the same is true today. So don't be one of them. Don't be one of the people left on the sidelines, sitting out when something significant, and God is seeking to do something significant in our midst. See how God might use you 
as you make yourself available despite your fears. So we've said so far, Jesus is building his church, but often uh, people are afraid of what they, uh, of, uh, afraid to, to, to get involved, to, to, to join in. But there's other fears that come. Some people uh, feel threatened by the church and what it stands for, and they fear what they might lose. They, they fear what's at stake, what, what it might cost them, what they might have to, uh, to give up and not, uh, uh, not be able to retain. Some are afraid of what they might lose. In verse 17, we get a picture of this as the scene shifts to uh, give us a picture of the high priest and his inner circle. They're the religious authorities who are in charge of the temple, and they're gathering together to kind of think through their reaction to what uh, is taking place. And you would think, if you're responsible for the temple, and you see people coming from all over, they're, they're coming from surrounding towns, they're gathering, and this isn't even one of the religious holidays, you'd expect they're going to be really excited. People are talking about the word of God. They're excited. They're, they're being healed. They're, there are miracles being done right on the temple grounds. You would think if you were one of the priests that is responsible for the, the running of the temple, that this would be the happiest day of your life. How could you, how could you feel anything but excitement? Well, let's listen to their reaction in verses 17 and 18. It says... But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Stop all this healing stuff. Out with your Bibles. Stop worshiping. Everybody go home. We're arresting the people who started this unauthorized Bible uh, exposition, good news, uh, healing time. And... And they shut it down. Uh, just uh, an, an, incredible, uh, uh, an incredible response, but it tells us why they responded that way. It says in, uh, in verse 17 that they were filled with jealousy. They didn't like that the crowds were looking to other people instead of them. They didn't like that, that they weren't getting the most... Uh, attention from people, that they were, they were worried that they might be losing status, losing their influence, losing control. They were worried about the things that they might lose. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of what happened when uh, there's a description uh, when George Lucas was interviewed by Time magazine. He was asked, how did Anakin Skywalker turn into Darth Vader? Like, just emotionally, psychologically, how do you describe a shift so profound as that? To become this, what, what becomes in the Star Wars series, the, the evil lord. How do you get to that place? Listen to how George Lucas describes it. He said, he turns into Darth Vader because he gets attached to things. He can't let go. And he said, that makes you greedy. And when you're greedy, you're on a path to the dark side because you fear you're going to lose things and that you're not going to have the power that you need. That's, that's exactly what's happening in our passage today. You have the high priest 
acting like Darth Vader and his inner circle of priests like his stormtroopers. And it's taking place because they're, they're unwilling to let go of what they have and they're afraid of the things that they might lose. And the consequences are devastating. It's happening because of greed, jealousy, and again, that fear of letting go. And so I, I think you and I need to examine our hearts and ask whether some of that, those same dynamics aren't taking place in our own hearts. Are you afraid of what following Jesus would make you give up? Are, are you afraid of a loss of freedom? A, fra- a, a loss maybe of a, of a relationship that you know that God doesn't approve of? Are, are you afraid of what it might mean in terms of maybe a loss of comfort, a loss of something that you just can't afford to not hang on to. Those are the things that get in the way. They stand in keeping us from following Jesus Christ. Now, most Christians fear the kind of scene that is depicted in this passage. They fear the setting where, hey, Authorities are angry with Christians and they're rounding them up and they're outlawing uh, what they are trying to do. But what's going to happen when the authorities in our day start acting like Darth Vader? What's going to happen when uh, people who are in power start acting like the stormtroopers and treating Christians like the rebellion? What what does that end, end up as? Obviously, the passage teaches us it's not as nice as when authorities are nice and sympathetic to Christians and their cause. Things get tougher. But at the same time, we, we, we realize that while obedience becomes more costly, God continues to minister to his people. He continues to serve and, and rescue. He continues to show his hand, his compassion upon them. As it says in Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Now, in the apostles' case, after being locked up, that was the, the way that he delivers them, the way that he shows that he cares for them is uh, he sends an angel who comes in the night, opens the doors, miraculously frees them. The lesson, though, isn't that that's the way God always does it. Uh, John the Baptist, he didn't get a miraculous release, release from prison. Uh, he died there. Uh, same with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, so the message isn't that this is always the way uh, that God has to do it, but it's a demonstration of how much God cares for his people. Uh, it shows us that he won't abandon them. He won't leave them. And it also makes clear nothing will stand in the way of God's power as he seeks to do uh, his will and carry out his purposes in our lives. There's nothing that the authorities can do to stop the church that he's building. He keeps pressing forward. Uh, He keeps pressing the mission. And there isn't anything that will be able to stop him. The question is, the question that the passage poses for us that God has given us is whether you and I will be a part of things when he does press forward. When he is moving forward on mission, as he is seeking to accomplish what he is doing in this world, 
Will you and I be a part of that mission? So we've said Jesus is building his church, but some are afraid to get involved, and some are, uh, are just afraid of what they might lose. Finally, we see Jesus is building his church, but some are afraid to change. They recognize that, hey, there's something with this Jesus character. If I can fit him into what I believe and make him a part of my system, maybe that's something I would be willing to, to, uh, uh, to, to take. But if he wants me to do things the other way around, to kind of just change my system and adopt his, get with his program instead of him getting with mine, that's not something that I'm open to. So uh, while Jesus is building his church, some are afraid to change. Watch how this gets played out in the, in the rest of the passage. So the religious authorities thrown the apostles in prison. They've locked them up in a public prison. Uh, they, they want to make an example of them, but then they've gone home for the night. And they assume nothing, uh, nothing's going to change until they arrive back in the morning. So the next morning, they've gathered to decide what to do with them. And in verse 21, it shows the high priest in his inner circle. They've come together now. They're going to deliberate on what to do with them. And they've, they call for the apostles to be brought forward, uh, bring them out of prison, bring them before them, and uh, we'll, we'll confront them directly. Together, uh, you have... Uh, the high priest and his inner circle, plus the Sanhedrin, a group of about 70 of the top civil leaders in Israel. So combined, you've, you've got uh, probably some kind of interrogation hall with 80 people uh, standing ready to confront the apostles. So this is going to be a, a significant showdown. They've gathered in a special room in the temple. It's called the Chamber of Hewn Stones. And they're feeling powerful, they're feeling privileged, they're feeling like they're in control. And all of that is going to dramatically change. In verse 23, they report uh, that the, the prison officers who returned from having gone to get the apostles, they report, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. They're trying to... I don't know what happened. We went there and there's, there's no apostles. They, they, we, we locked them up. We know that part. We went back to where we locked them up. No apostles. Then hear what it says in verse 24. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. I'll bet they were. When, when it says greatly perplexed, we're to picture them with their mouth wide open just speechless. If you were to draw it with a cartoon, there'd probably be smoke coming out of their ears. This is, this is not fitting with their understanding of reality. It doesn't compute for them. They don't know what to do with what, what they've just heard. On the one hand, they, they know that an, an unusual event has taken place. If you or I were there, we'd be surprised. Oh, I, I, I kind of thought the apostles would still be in the prison. That would be a natural assumption. So all of us would be surprised, but they're more than surprised. This word perplexed, it's only used three other times in the Bible. Uh, one time it's used of, uh, John, of 
uh, when John the Baptist was beheaded and that he was dead and gone and Herod, King Herod, hears about Jesus attracting the same kind of following and creating the same kind of stir that John the Baptist did, uh, he, he, Herod gets really worried and confused and perplexed about this Jesus, wondering whether he isn't John the Baptist come back from the dead. Has he come back to curse me? Is, is, that, that, is that what's going on? And so that word perplex gets used there of King Herod. Uh, then in Acts 2.12, it's used of the crowd that, the, um, uh, the, that gathers at Pentecost and sees the disciples each speaking in their own language. And they're freaking out thinking, how does this, how does this work? How are they speaking in languages that they don't know? How, how is that taking place? They were greatly perplexed at that time as well. Didn't fit. Couldn't figure out what was, how, how do we make sense of that? And finally, it's used to the Apostle Peter when he gets a vision from God three times telling him, go and eat non-kosher food. And Peter's like, whoa, no way, I couldn't do that. I've never done that before. It might be God talking to me. It might be a, this incredible vision, but I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. And it takes three repeated visions to convince Peter, who is perplexed at this new information, I've only ever eaten kosher food all my life. Now you want me to eat non-kosher food. So in each of these scenarios, you have people with certain beliefs and God confronts them with a different reality and they have to figure out, what am I going to do with that? I'm, I'm kind of in this standstill, greatly perplexed, wanting to, to, to deal with this, but I, I would just rather ignore this and hope that it goes away because I feel more comfortable where I am right now. So when it says that the captain of the temple and the chief priests are greatly perplexed, we are trying, we, we're understanding they're trying to process some facts that just don't fit with what they've come to believe. It, it mentions in verse 17, we're reminded deliberately in verse 17, that uh, the uh, they're part of a religious group known as the Sadducees. And that's probably an important point to mention and to remind ourselves at this point. Uh, some of you know that the, the Sadducees were the theological liberals of their day. They didn't believe in angels or spirits. Uh, they didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in uh, life after death. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they're called, everybody, sad, you see. Yes, yeah, bad. Uh, but that's, that's part of it. They, they did not have an understanding or a conviction or a belief about these things. They didn't accept them. And God deliberately sends them an angel to miraculously set, the, set uh, his people free to, to confront them with, with facts that they will either have to Ignore or deny, or they'll have to change. And, uh, and, and so that, that is the kind of, uh, of, of issue that we're dealing with. Face the truth, deal with reality, accept the facts, or you will be living in denial and having to go like this or like this for uh, the foreseeable future. Again, we need to pause and say, 
is there some similar dynamic going on in my life? Maybe there are... Maybe there are truths of scripture that have you greatly perplexed. Maybe you have a set of beliefs and you'd like to take bits and pieces of those beliefs and put them into your package and, and say, yeah, that was a good sermon. I heard something that I, I kind of, that fits with what I believe. I'm, I can accept that. But you're afraid of dealing with the whole package. And as a result, when you read through scripture, if you deal with all of it, you recognize, boy, there are parts of that that greatly perplex me. I'm kind of stuck because they don't fit with, with this package that I believe, but I'm not willing to let go of it. Maybe the package for you is you, you believe in a non-supernatural Jesus. Maybe you're like the Sadducees. You're, you're, you're not into miracles and angels and rising from the dead stuff. Maybe you believe in a just a prophet Jesus. Maybe that's the, the kind of package that you want to hold on to and, and some of the stuff just doesn't fit. Maybe your, your Jesus is a, uh, a keep me comfortable Jesus. You know, a, 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 a divine helper Jesus, but not really willing to deal with kind of the other things that, that, that come along with that. And as a result, you find yourself greatly perplexed at certain passages and parts of scripture that don't fit with your package of beliefs. The message here is unless you want to find yourself with the Darth Vader stormtrooper types, religious authorities in this passage and people like them, we are called to accept the truth that God has revealed and be willing to Give up the things that, frankly, maybe they're a part of your tradition. Maybe they're a part of your package of beliefs. But maybe they're just wrong. Maybe God wants to directly confront those in your life and have you toss them aside. And so that's that's the kind of of a change that we are being confronted with this morning and that fear that you might have in doing so. In today's passage, we meet... Jesus as a God who busts open prison doors to set his people free. We, we meet a savior who, who walks on water and commands the winds and the waves and they obey him. We meet in scripture one who conquered the grave, who rose from the dead and offers eternal life to all who would trust and follow him. He receives worship and he calls people to give up their lives in order to follow him. And the question is whether you'll do that, whether you will join the ranks of those who call him Lord, who follow him as Savior, and who put their lives in his hands and trust him wholly. So don't just hang out on the sidelines afraid to get involved. Don't be that person who gets so committed to whatever this package is that you won't let go, that you don't become a part of what God is actually seeking to do in our midst. Join Jesus on mission. Find a place to serve. Join in with God's people in fellowship. Be a part of what God is doing in our midst. Now, if you're someone who would say, Paul, I think I'm doing all that stuff. I I, I think that I... 
I, I'm, I, I'm trying to follow him as best I know how. I, I think I've dealt pretty thoroughly with some of the things that get in the way of following Jesus. I, I try and join in with the fellowship of his people and serve where I'm able. Uh, all of those things are, are, are a part of me, but I, I still have other fears. I still get anxious about where things are headed. I worry about, uh, well, I worry what will become of the church. I worry what will become of, of following Christ in our generation, in, in our nation. What will become of our faith? If that's you this morning, hear the message of this passage. If God can bust his people out of prison to carry out his purposes, what wouldn't he do for them? Stand in the confidence of the saints of old like David who said in Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Stand in the confidence of the God who promises, I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. And stand in the confidence of the Savior as for the church who declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus isn't worried about what things people might throw against him and his people in this generation. He isn't worried about what authorities might do, what powerful people might do. He isn't worried about the temptations that they might bring. He says, I'm storming the gates of hell and they are not going to hold as I press forward. I'm moving forward on mission and I'm calling my people to join with me. And so we're, we're hearing that invitation of Jesus in this passage and questioning our response, questioning whether we will respond to him and be a part of what he's doing. Now, the apostles believed those promises that I shared with you, and they expressed that they believed those promises. And I, I love this. In verse 21, and we're going to just end with this, they give us you know, the response of someone who, who believes these things. What are you going to do after a middle of the night jailbreak? If we're honest, I think some of us would probably go out for a buffet breakfast and celebrate God's goodness. Wasn't that amazing? We, the angel and stuff, and, and they were all confused. Where are the apostles? Wasn't that great? We'd celebrate. Praise the Lord. Maybe pray a little. Or maybe other people, no, you're not in for the... the for, for the morning buffet, maybe you just sleep in and tell yourself, oh, that was a long night. I couldn't believe it. We were up and the angel said, okay, out through these doors and we had to walk back. And like, that was, what a night. I'm just going to get some rest and sleep probably till about noon. That's what some people would do, right? Right? And there'd be different ways that we would respond. Some people would say, that was amazing. Hey, I don't need to go out for breakfast. I'll just, I don't need to sleep in, but I got to kind of lay low for a while. I don't, I don't need to attract undue attention. Hey, I don't need to tempt fate. It was delivered once. I don't want to get in too much trouble. Listen to what the apostles decided to do. Verse 21, 
they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, the temple was locked overnight. So if they're entering at daybreak, that means if they are literally lined up at the door of the temple waiting for it to open when most of us are still haven't even reached for the snooze button on our alarm clocks. Where does that come from? Where does that, that zeal and, and energy and motivation come from if it isn't from a belief in a prison-busting savior who delivers his people and leads them forward on mission? Some people, maybe you're still thinking, Paul, our message is becoming more and more unpopular I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do in our generation. How do, we, how do we do anything? People don't want to hear it. And the message of God's word for us this morning is that we're going to do what God's people have always done. We're going to take up our cross and we're going to follow Jesus in mission. We're going to be a part of what he is doing in this world and we believe in his power to bring down any obstacle that would stand in his path. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you meet us in our fears. Because the reality is that we have lots of them. Help us to trust your promises and be willing to step out in faith. Help us to get involved and join you on mission. Help us to confront our fears and to find a place to serve. Help us to get off the sidelines and to join in fellowship with your people. And as we do, Father, would you show your power? Would you give us your strength? And would you be our courage? For we ask you in Jesus' name.